Welcome to the Rocks and Roots podcast, coming at you with another extra, extra special episode. I am one of your host, Tumbles, and I'm looking at... Cranky on the other side of the state, and I am super excited because we had an absolutely amazing guest that we just finished talking to. So who did we speak to? We spoke to Katie Gerber, and Katie Gerber is a Jill of all trades. She is a thru-hiker, she is a nutritionist, she is a guide, she is awesome. (laughs) So she is an author and she is a guide for Shirka, which is Andrew Shirka's company, and my ignorance in the interview shows, and you, you'll hear my voice light up because I didn't realize that this is the Andrew Shirka when she told us Shirka. Um, for those of you that don't know, he is perhaps the most famous and the most talented backpacking guide out there and his company does trips all over the world we get into it in the episode so i was delighted that was a bonus yeah but... um katie's been with andrew skirka for now two years she's been with his company so it was a, and... it was a pleasure learning all about that yes and she herself is as tumbles mentioned um her focus is nutrition she is a nutrition and health coach she has over 8,000 trail miles under her belt, including a PCT through hike. As well as a Colorado trail through hike. Yes. (laughs) And she is the vice president of the American Long Distance Hiking Association. Just by talking about her bio, I mean, there's still plenty that we need to talk to her about that we just didn't get to in this episode. So we plan to have her back on and hopefully she accepts our invitation. All right, let's plug our shit so these people can listen to this amazing fucking interview. Do you want to try again? Or shall I plug? You can plug. (laughs) All right, follow us on the gram, rocks underscore and underscore roots underscore pod. Find us on the TikTok, which is rocks underscore roots underscore podcast. And the reason why I'm talking so fast is because it's going to be in the show notes and I'm, it's plugging every week you can also find us on the youtubes just put our name in please give us some cash on patreon so we can pay our subscriptions every month to keep our show going and last but not least you are most likely listening to us on apple Podcasts. please leave us some stars leave us a note we love to hear from you we're tired of hearing our own voices let's hear from some other people anything else crank that's it without further ado here is katie gerber Katie, good evening and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We are excited that you are here. Welcome. So let's start with the basics. Um, How long have you been hiking and what got you into it? Sure. Yeah. So I have been enjoying outdoors, you know, since I was a kid. Um, I never thought of it as like hiking at that time, but our family was always out walking around in the woods. I grew up in rural Ohio. Um, so we had a lot of space to roam there. Um, we would go foraging for mushrooms and go out and swim in lakes and things like that. So I developed this 
love for the outdoors really early on. Um, but I didn't actually take my first overnight backpacking trip until college. Um, I went to OSU, Ohio State, and I found out they had an elective where I could take an, a backpacking course and get credit for it. And I was like, yes. So, <laughs> so I'm jealous. For that. <laughs> yeah, yeah for th- I was like, yes, please. <laughs> Since, well, our listeners know we're an audio only podcast, but both Tumbles and I are making faces, faces. like. <laughs> <laughs> and I have said on many a hike, if I had a time machine and had to go back, I would have started one where I went to college. So that's awesome yes. that you had that opportunity. Yeah, New Jersey doesn't yeah. have anything like that. <laughs> I was so surprised to find it there, and it was so fortunate. Um, I mean, the I will say, like, the whole backpacking style that they taught was, like, very traditional and outdated. And I was like, I think the instructor had us, like, wear, like, external brand backpacks. So, I mean, this was, this was like, the early 2000s. So it wasn't that long ago. But, um, yeah, it was enough to get me started. We, we did one overnight class trip. I think it was down to West Virginia. And that was enough to be like, oh, I'm interested in doing this. Um, yeah. And then it was a few years later that a friend from college invited me to join him on his AT through hike. I had no idea even that the A2 existed or what through hiking was, but I was just at a place in my life where I was like, not super like into a career or anything like that yet. And it was just a good opportunity for me to be like, yep, that sounds interesting to me. So, um, yeah, I jumped on the AT with him. It was my, uh, I guess second ever overnight trip that I ever did was like starting this hike on the AT with him. And I think I was there for, um, about six weeks, I think, that I stayed on. I didn't through hike with him. I just hiked with him for about six weeks of his hike before I headed oh, yeah. off onto another adventure. And six weeks? Yeah, six weeks. I mean, that's crazy going from one night yeah. to then six weeks overnight. So how did you feel? How Where did you end up? Yeah, um, well, it was a steep learning curve, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I, <laughs> I remember I got to um, like the first trail town I'm spacing on the name of what it is, um, right after Blood Mountain, but my pack was like 50 pounds and I spent probably like a thousand dollars there lightening my pack. Cause I just like was so <laughs> novice to it all. Um, so there was tons of learning and then, yeah, I ended up hiking with him until around Bland, Virginia is when I got off for that. Yeah. That's that a section. So I think that's like 600 ish miles. That's a pretty impressive section. So that's about a hundred miles a week. That's that's pretty damn good. Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I love to hike and I've always been pretty, I don't know, I like stayed in decent shape. So even with the heavy pack, I was able to like keep a steady pace going. And what year was this? So this was 2009. Okay. All right. So Mm -hmm. a while ago. Yeah. And then assuming after that, you were absolutely hooked if you weren't already. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was on the AT that I found out about these other magical strips of trail that went all the way across the country. And I was like, oh, there's a thing called the PCT and the CDT. And that just immediately like planted a seed in my mind. I didn't make any like set set plans of like, oh, I'm definitely going to go hike these trails. But really like the idea really captivated me of like similar trails, but out west especially growing up in the Midwest, like the West just sort of had this magical uh, appeal and pull that I was like, I will get out there someday and hopefully I will hike one of these other long trails. So yeah, I would, it's fair to say I was definitely hooked. All right. And you did. Um, That's actually (laughs) yet another perfect segue. So your PCT through hike was next or did you do stuff in between? It was the next, yeah, it was the next, 
real like backpacking trip I took. I didn't, I, I did other life things, but I did not do much backpacking um, after, after the AT section and before I did the PCT through hike in 2014. So there's like a five year span in there. And what did okay. you do to prepare for your trek? Yeah. Um, well, I had a lot of preparing to do because I had, I had sort of like been out of this world for a while. And I will say like in 2009, there weren't the resources that were are available today in terms of planning, especially online resources. Um, it was just, I mean, I maybe was in a couple forums, if that, but a lot of it was just trying to figure it out um, before I did that first section of the AT. And so before the PCT, there was so much to learn in terms of like ultralight gear and what do I eat when I'm out there and how do I know where to send boxes and like all of it, all the stuff. So um, I, you know, I read blogs and I like checked out guidebooks and, you know, what was it? It was mostly blogs, I think, that I read and other people experiences and that gave me a really good um, insight and into yeah how to plan and what to expect. Yeah, this was the time before the vlogs, the YouTube vlogs just blew up. I think it was like 2017 when that really started up. So I don't want to say I I, I commend pre-vlog through hikers more (laughs) or less, but yeah, you really have to do your homework. That's for sure. Yep, that is for sure. Yeah. And I love talking about this because I was not a through hiker, but um, I hiked on and off through middle and high school. So mid to late nineties, very early two thousands. So I absolutely, I started with external frame packs and, (laughs) and boots. And what was the biggest from your AT section hike to the PCT in that five year gap? What was the biggest change as far as gear that either Mm. shocked you or that you noticed? Yeah, I, Hmm, that's a great question. Um, there, so I think that was, so that was during a time. So that was 2009 was the AT section that I did. And then 2014 was the PCT. And I feel like that um, like early 2000s and like 2010-ish to 15 was when there was so much innovation happening in lightweight gear that yep. even when I was outfitted with like a decently light setup on the AT at this, um, at Neil's Gap, even then, um, when I started researching again in 2014, there were, everything had gotten even lighter. And I was like, oh, I thought that I had a kind of light setup, but now I realized that like, I don't need a 70 liter pack and, you know, I don't need a zero degree sleeping bag and things like that, that, that the person on the AT had set me up with. So just realizing there were, and, and like quilts, that was like kind of mind blowing. I was like, oh, I don't need a mummy bag. This is fascinating. Um, so yeah, I can't even pinpoint one, one big change. I think it was just like how, seeing how much the whole industry of like lightweight backpacking gear had evolved in that short time span. I was like, I feel like I have to learn so much new stuff, but it was fun and it was exciting. Awesome. And I am laughing at myself because I still rock a 70 liter pack. Uh, (laughs) I still (laughs) rock the mummy bag. Um, it, it's it's a new pack. It, it's not like outdated, but it's very large. Fit so. <laughs> like a, a child in there. <laughs> I know that's the thing. I was like, if I take the big pack, I'm just going to fill it with, with stuff. stuff. So. Exactly. And yeah. that's what I do. Um, <laughs> Usually, from what I know about the PCT, is that 
there is also a spot like Neil's Gap where you could do a shakedown of your stuff. Is there some, there is something similar on the PCT and did you have to lighten the load? You know, I, I, there are some towns like early on in the PCT that are like, would be good for that. Like I think um, Laguna would be a spot for that or yeah, some of those earlier towns that you hit would be good places to like swap out gear. Mm-hmm. I can't picture um, an outfitter that's like, well, so I went northbound um, and I, I can't picture like an outfitter that's so conveniently located, like right on the trail in the way that it is in, in Neil's Gap. But mm-hmm. um, to, to the second part of the question, I was, I didn't swap out much on the PCT. I was pretty dialed in at that point. Um, yeah. Thanks to like obsessively spending way too many hours researching and stressing about it in advance. <laughs> I was just going to say that's, you know, the purpose of research. So it sounds like you did. Um, you did well on your homework. And I was just thinking tumbles when you asked that question, that's the scene in what's the movie about Cheryl Strait and then the famous scene Mm. where she gets to town and they're like pulling pots and crap out of her bag. Yeah. That's wild. Wild. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there, there is that exact scene in wild. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, what was the hardest part of the PCT? Um, Oh man, PCT is such a nice trail. Um, I'll say the the hardest part uh, just popped in my head was the mosquitoes in Tuolumne Meadows, which is like one of the stops in the Sierras, um, or one of another stop, but a location that you walk through. You're um, the second which... person that's mentioned the skeeters out there. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Funny. And Tuolumne Meadows is northern Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, such yeah. a nice area of trail too. <laughs> And, and of course yeah. you were plagued. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it was just the timing that I hit it. That was like right after the snow melt that they were just like vicious. I can just remember like walking as fast as I could. I'm like, I bet I can outwalk them, but I couldn't outwalk them. <laughs> <laughs> now being from rural Ohio, what did mm-hmm. you think of the desert and then jumping right into the Sierra and then kind of going back into the desert? <laughs> Yeah. It, I mean, it was spectacular. It was truly every day. Um, and I just, maybe it sounds over the top, but truly every day was just like fantastic. Like it was dreamy, you know, it was, um, it was new and it was interesting. And I liked the, the different challenges that each tra- part of the trail brought. So I enjoyed having to like think about my water and I'd never hiked around like cacti before. Like that was new to me. And like, Oh, hiking, thinking about when I'm hiking during the day in the desert. So making sure I'm hiking like early, maybe taking a midday break under a bridge because the heat was so intense and then hiking in the evening, like that was all new to me. But um, it's so fun when you're learning so much. It's all new and it's interesting and you're like increasing your skill set so rapidly that it's just, um, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Um, And then, yeah, the challenges that came with the Sierras, like altitude and walking over snowy passes and um like a you know a little bit of like navigation and route finding to try and get over those passes when the trail was buried um yeah again just so much like skill building it was it was awesome I truly enjoyed um the PCT so much yeah were you mostly alone did you find a I hate this term but I can't think of a better one at the moment did you find a tramley so myself right now. <laughs> um, I I mostly well. Let's see. So I hiked large sections of it alone. I started by myself. Hiked um, large sections alone, and then there were times I never hiked with like 
big groups of people, but there were a couple of times I would pair up with, with like one other hiker. Like we happened to both be hiking by ourselves. Um, so for example, through the Sierras, um, there's a guy who I had met up with and we hiked the Sierras together, but it all like came together very easily and naturally. And then we kind of like would go our separate ways quite easily as well. Like he was like, I'm going to hang out in Tahoe for a few days. And I was like, great, I'm going to hike on and no problem, no big deal. So yeah. I really enjoyed that style of hiking where, um, you know, you have both the camaraderie of hiking partners, as well as the freedom that you get when you're solo and, you know, you're not having to make all decisions based on what your hiking partners want. Now, yeah, I, yeah I was going to say, Crank, you know, I ask this about everyone. So many people have uh, hiked solo, but I, I look at mental health as very important. So how was your mental health during those portions of hiking solo? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I it was great. I do really well. Um, like I'm a, a pretty like introverted person, and yeah. And actually, on the PCT, I didn't take any like music or podcasts or anything. So actually, I'm kind of like in retrospect thinking like, wow, that was sort of interesting. I was able to like entertain myself with my own thoughts the whole time. But wow. you know, it may have just been that like I needed that decompression of just like walking and letting my thoughts like move and flow out and or thinking of nothing. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the times I was solo and I enjoyed like the independence that it gave me. And I think it helped me build a lot of confidence as mm -hmm. an outdoors person as well, to right. be able to, to know that I was comfortable hiking solo. Um, and then it made me even more excited when I would see other people on trail and we just have a million things to talk about because I hadn't talked to another human in a few days. So yeah, it was good. And then um, on your website, you said you had some health problems post trail. You said you didn't feel healthy. So what was going on there? What do you think caused it? Yeah. Um, so after the PCT, I was experiencing quite a bit of fatigue and just like extreme muscle tiredness that wouldn't subside. I had actually planned a 20 mile race that I was going to do um, after the PCT. It was like a, a lottery system and I had it was a really competitive race near Asheville and I had finally gotten a lottery ticket and I was going to do this race and I got back from the PCT and tried to start training for it and I couldn't run more than a few miles without just such extreme fatigue and it was yeah it was so bizarre and I had no idea what was going on but I realized like I had to cancel the, the race because I wasn't going to be able to compete with oh, you know, all this fatigue <laughs> happening Thanks. <laughs> it was disappointing at the time, but, um, you know, ultimately it led me down this path of doing tons of research, getting blood testing, going to the doctor, all sorts of things to figure out what was going on. Um, and I had some other symptoms as well, like hair loss and depression. I was really feeling like cold all the time. Um, and I eventually found out through some blood testing that I had an auto had have an autoimmune thyroid condition, which is called Hashimoto's. And also that I was having some adrenal fatigue issues going on. So that's what was going on health wise. Um, and it did take kind of a while to figure that out, but eventually I did, which was great because then I had, I had a target of like, okay, now I know what's going on. I can start doing things to help myself get better. Um, and as far as what I think caused it, um, I think that it was sort of like a perfect storm type thing of a number of factors of a, pre a genetic predisposition, um, as well as eating some foods that I was unknowingly eating foods that I was intolerant to like wheat and dairy. Um, and also I was hiking the PCT as a vegetarian. So I was probably, and not really not eating junk foods, but also not thinking about how like the 
macronutrients that were taking up, uh, making up my food. So I was probably under eating protein. Um, and of course I was pushing my body really hard. So that likely contributed to the adrenal issues. That's interesting. I, I have a friend who suffers, suffers, is living with Hashimoto's yeah. as well. Now, uh, she does eat meat and is fairly sedentary in her life. What contributes or causes Hashimoto's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's an autoimmune condition, um, and so there there's a genetic predisposition to it, and then and then there are usually environmental factors that trigger it. So um, it's kind of it. There are a number of different things that can be at the root cause of it, is what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. So um, for some people, like sometimes women experience um, after giving birth, um, Hashimoto's will kind of crop up then when mm-hmm. their like systems are maybe not as resilient. Um, and there are times, sometimes it can be like triggered by, as I mentioned with me, like eating things that I was intolerant to, which were causing gut permeability. So like mm. when I was a vegetarian, I was eating a lot of wheat and dairy. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a vegetarian at all. There's definitely healthy ways to be doing it. And I wasn't doing it in an unhealthy way, but again, I was eating foods just that my body was intolerant to. So it caused this gut permeability. And when once these proteins got into the bloodstream, that weren't supposed to be there. It just like made my immune system kind of go crazy basically. Hmm. And then the immune system gets confused and attacks your own body. So in this case, it attacked my, it started attacking my thyroid and it can be so challenging with autoimmune conditions to um, get to the root cause of what's going on. Cause it can be different for different people. Like some people might be triggered by um, mold in their environment or mm-hmm. heavy metal toxicity or um, yeah, just a variety of different things. So it can be really hard to, treat the condition. Of course, there are like medications that can be supportive, but as far as like getting to the root cause of like, how do I help myself feel better from like a lifestyle and diet perspective, it can definitely be a challenge. Yeah. My, uh, going along with that, my, my next question would be, were you going to a more holistic doctor? Did he or she prescribe more vitamins and minerals or was it a more conventional doctor? Yeah. So the way I found out that I had the condition was I was uh, started seeing a functional medicine practitioner. And she was the one who recommended all these different panels. Um, So she did all sorts of blood testing and she did uh, like a stool test and she did a hormone test on me. So all sorts of different things to get like a really complete picture of what was going on for me. And it's really beneficial to, if anyone else is like, who's listening is suspecting they might have something like immune related going on. Um, I definitely recommend seeking out a functional medicine or an integrative medicine practitioner who is going to really run that full panel on you and try to get to the root of things. Um, so yeah, that's how I found out. And she gave me some recommendations for books to read. And, um, she did suggest some supplements that I start taking to support my specific issues. Um, and yeah, kind of a whole protocol of like a dietary protocol where, I identified the foods that I was intolerant to so that I could remove them from my diet. Um, a gut healing protocol that, cause that was part of the whole picture. Um, I did an adrenal healing protocol that involved like cutting back on caffeine and easing up on exercise, um, giving my body <clears throat> as much uh, sleep as it needed. So things like that. And then, yeah, she sort of helped me rebuild um, like a nutrient dense anti-inflammatory diet that really helped keep symptoms at, at bay um, balance my blood sugar and things like that that would just like support my body and um, healing itself. 
fascinating. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, and that's one of that's actually the main reason that we wanted to have you on the show is to talk about food on trail and eating healthy because most backpackers when they're packing food they're planning meals the main concern is weight and does Mm -hmm. it taste good Mm -hmm. and like you said you are not thinking and you probably ate healthier than most if you're doing vegetarian on trail Mm -hmm. it's just unfortunately your body didn't like it Mm -hmm. um most of us it's backpacker pantry it's mountain house when you get into town it's it's calories and junk yes Mm -hmm. um and reading you know your story on your website uh, made me think of there's an article that came out a little bit ago uh last year and it's on backpacker.com we've talked about it before on the podcast but could through hiking be bad for your health so this guy did um before he did his pct hike uh Tom Heinbachel did a series of medical tests and then he did his PCT hike and then he came back and he had the same series of tests and what they found, I lost the paragraph. Let me see if I can find it again. All right. So snacked on typical through hiker fare, jerky, pastries, chips, all the crap that we eat when we are on trail. And his post-medical examination revealed that his arteries had um, taken a turn for the worst. His brachial artery flow um, mediated dilation, which is a measure of how well the endothelial lining does, um, which is a layer of cells, was reduced. It had dropped by more than 25%. His aortic stiffness had risen by 5%. And when this article came out, we kind of panned it because that seems to be a little extreme, but it did get us at least thinking, and I suppose that was the point, about food and at least being more aware of what um, you're eating on trail. So, and that's why we had you on because that is now your specialty. So you talked a little bit about some of the changes that you made to your own diet, but um, what recommendations do you have for trail? Like what are the criteria that you look at when um, you are either helping someone plan for their trail meals or when you are planning for your own? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually remember. That was great. Um, Yes. And I remember seeing that backpacker article come out and a couple people sent it to me and they're like, what do you think about this? Yeah. So what were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was extremely fascinating to finally just see a little bit of data because no one, I had never seen any data of, of, you know, these physiological measures before and after a through hike. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, Of course, I, I think, I mean, it's only one person, yes. right? It's very limited. <laughs> it's one person. And I, I can't remember the details, but I think they only studied him uh, at one point. So I would be like, it was maybe like a month after, or I forget the time, like how long it was after he finished his hike, but they did this blood work. I would love to see like follow-up studies. Like did these metrics like rebound into normal range once he was no longer eating the through hiker diet and 
um, hiking so long and stuff like that. So like, I think we can only take so much from it. I but think I do those think... were some of the criticisms that we had too. Cause the article yeah. is pure clickbait is through totally. hiking bad for you. Like, well, you only did two data points. Um, mm. it sounds like he didn't make any healthy choices on trail. So that, and not to I mention that the he did like, as as our didn't he do like a hundred sit-ups beforehand or push-ups, push-ups yeah. beforehand? So he did, like normal through hiker stuff as well. But anyway, so <laughs> yeah. back to enough bitching about the article again. Um, <laughs> what, yes. what are your criteria when you're helping someone plan their trail uh, food pack out? Sure. Yeah. So I, so I'll back up a minute and just share like what my experience was when I was starting to um, go from this place where I wasn't even sure if I would through hike again to finding a, a, a diet and a lifestyle that actually helped me improve my health at home. So then I could get back onto long trails and then do like the Colorado trail and the um, Oregon desert trail. And so I was able to start through hiking again, but I knew that it was so imperative to like my ability to through hike that I eat well on trail as well. So when I started planning my food at that time, I was thinking about it like through a new lens. And I was like, you know, like it's, it's not just like a, Oh, it'd be nice to eat healthy on trail. It was like, I need to do this for myself so that I can be able to be out there hiking. So I came up with these five criteria that I use because it's still really important to me as someone who's carrying all my weight on my back that I have energy dense food, you know, the high calories browns that everyone talks about. So Um, so that's one of my, the first criteria that I use, like, it still has to be something that's energy dense. So I'm not, not carrying like piles of like fresh veggies on trail. Obviously that's not going to, um, be very calorie dense. So one thing is energy density. The second thing is that I look at is nutritious. And so for me, that meant that it helps with balancing my energy. So, um, we can dive into like what I mean by that specifically, but like, basically like, um, it, but balancing blood sugar contains a mix of macronutrients that help me um, balance blood sugar and keep my energy steady. And then also anti-inflammatory. So um, we can also dive into that if you want, but basically that it's um, providing antioxidants to my body that are going to help heal like some of the free radical damage that occurs from really heavy exercise when you're hiking all day long. So something that's like food that's that are actively like healing my body versus like contributing to the inflammation, like a lot of processed foods might. Um, my third criteria was that it's packable. So I want things that are compact and that they pack well into my food bag and they're not going to be crushed. And like, of course we all know we're not carrying like glass jars of nut butter or, um, you know, whole bottles of like condiments or things like that. So that's a pretty, um, one that, uh, you know, anyone's going to carry any through hiker is going to carry foods that are more packable or any, backpacker. The fourth one is appetizing. So that was another one that you mentioned that any backpacker is pretty much thinking about, like, does it taste good? Like we want to get to the top of the hike or the end of the day and open your food bag and actually want to eat what's in there. And something that I love to share with people is like, you can eat food that is good for your body and that tastes good. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like they could be both. Um, and then the fifth criteria that I look at, and this is just my personal preference is simplicity. So for me, I want food that is simple to assemble at home or simple to find in a grocery store on trail. If I'm not mailing myself a resupply box, like ingredients that I can go into almost any store in any little town and find them anywhere, like whole oats or, um, trail mixes or things like that. And then simple to prepare in the field. So 
I don't, I like to spend like the bulk of my day hiking and then just get to camp, make simple food, eat and sleep. So I don't want like, um, you know, extend things that require extensive preparation. Um, so that was the criteria that I laid out for myself. And then I realized as I started sharing about this, so I had started my website and started working with clients at the time, as I was sharing a lot of this stuff that not only was this beneficial for me as someone who had um, health issues that I was trying to keep at bay, but truly a lot of these principles and way that I was approaching trail food could be beneficial for any hiker who wanted to recover faster, who wanted to have more steady energy, who was interested in eating from a little bit more health, health focused perspective, maybe for their long-term health or um, just, I've heard a lot of people actually say like, I don't want to become addicted to like junk food and have a really hard time at the end of my hike transitioning back to a normal diet. We hear that all the time. Um, Yeah. People, yeah. It just did the whole idea of like, like the foods that we let ourselves like become addicted to or um, like food relationship stuff that can be really hard to, um, yeah, to, to shift those habits once you get back home. So, so yeah, I started doing this work and just laying out a lot of like, here's the recipes that I'm using and um, yeah, starting to work with people in that way around helping them plan trail food and also working with people on their health before the trail and all of that. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so question just for like my own curiosity. So you said free radicals as a result of exercise. Can you explain that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, um, so like under a uh, strenuous exercise, our body can produce, it's, it's actually like a, exercise is good for you, of course, but excessive exercise or really strenuous exercise can be stressful to the body and can cause um, like muscle damage. You know, how like muscles can be damaged before they're repaired. And that's actually what like strengths. Of, yes, strength I was just going to say, that's how you build muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's sort of what I was referring to with that is like any, any free radical damage that's happening in the body, whether it's from um, strenuous exercise or like the foods that you're consuming, which can cause um, some like free radical damage and stuff like that. So these antioxidants, which we consume through food can help us combat that free radical damage. Um, kind of to, to go back a bit, you said you, you started your website, you started taking clients. How long after the PCT did this kind of materialize? Yeah. So this was, I started my business in 2017 and that's the year I started seeing um, a few clients that year and then, yeah, just started building things up gradually. Right. Now, did you go to school for nutrition? I did uh, an online certification program that um, is an accredited program and it was to be certified as a nutrition coach and a holistic health coach. That's That's the training that I did for that. Yeah. Sweet. So what does, can you walk us through a typical day of food on trail like what are you taking with you that works that meet those five criteria sure yep um so breakfast uh breakfast is usually it's one of two things usually so it's either if i'm if i really want to like hit the trail and go um i'll just pack up and start walking and i'll eat like a protein bar so kind of generally speaking when i'm having breakfast i want to make sure i'm getting in about 20 grams of protein at that meal and that's again to like balance my blood sugar. So I had found in the past that if I ate a really high sugar or high carbohydrate breakfast, that my blood sugar would spike and then it would crash like half an hour, an hour later. And then I would be hungry again for something like sugary and carby. And then I would eat something sugary and carby and then it would spike and crash and spike and crash. And I would be on this roller coaster like all day long. And it just didn't feel good. Like I wasn't having consistent energy. So I found when I started my day with like a protein focused breakfast, 
um, which maybe will include some carbohydrates in there as well, and maybe a little bit of healthy fat that my energy was steadier throughout the whole day. So specifically breakfast would be some kind of protein bar that contains about 20 grams of protein or this homemade um, trail smoothie that I like to make, um, which includes uh, a greens powder, coconut milk powder as the fat, um, a protein powder. And then I add in like all sorts of anti-inflammatory and endurance boosting uh, ingredients like um, ginger powder and cinnamon powder. And um, there's a mushroom, a functional mushroom powder called cordyceps that I add into there that's shown to boost endurance. Um, so I make that at home and that's the other breakfast that I usually eat on trail. Um, and if people are interested, I have a recipe for that on my website. Um, and so that is really, that smoothie is really important to me because especially on a long hike, it really covers my nutritional bases. Like, especially with that greens powder in there that has tons, you know, it's this mixture of like 15 to 20 different fruits and vegetables ground down into a powder. So I can make sure that I'm getting a lot of those macronutrients, uh, I'm sorry, micronutrients that are found in fruits and vegetables that I might not be getting otherwise. Like if I'm just eating tortilla chips or tuna or whatever, which I love those things too, but <laughs> they're not quite as, um, packed with the antioxidants as like fruits and vegetables would be. So that's why I like that smoothie and the greens powder in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that usually gives me energy until mid morning. And at that point, if I haven't had the protein bar earlier, that's when I'll have some sort of protein bar at that point, or, um, you know, it depends on the day or I might have like a packet of nut butter, um, or maybe some trail mix, something like that. Again, for me personally, I don't like super sugary, super, super high carb things. If I'm going to have like um, like I might have like a, a fruit-based bar, like a date-based bar, like RX bars, or there used to be a company called Four Points that made like a prune-based bar, which was really good. And it gave me steady energy. Um, kind bars, I think are great. They're pretty energy dense and they're mostly like nuts and seeds. Um, so that, that would be like a mid-morning snack. And then lunch is usually will be based um, around like a protein, like a tuna pouch or something like that. And maybe some mustard, some crushed up chips. I mean, I'm pretty basic. I'm still a hiker. <laughs> it doesn't have to be hard. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a, again, like a, the protein and a little bit of fat and the carbs is going to give me the steady energy. Um, or sometimes this like strange combination of foods I like to eat is almond butter with sweet potato chips which a lot of people that are like, sounds, that sounds so really good, good actually. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And then the um, tuna and the crushed up. Thank you for backing me up on the tuna. I love tuna <laughs> for lunch. Yes. Yes. Um, my so easy. partner is grossed out by it every time, <laughs> but I love it. And then crushed up chips with that sounds really good. I think I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, just crush them up, dump them, dump them in there. And then I just eat it all with a spoon. Super oh, that good. sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then like a mid afternoon snack might be like salted nuts, like some sort of trail mix like that. That's going to have, you know, just, I'm looking for something that's calorie dense again, mm -hmm. it's easy, or it might be another bar or maybe jerky or maybe some combination of those things. Um, and then dinner is again, based around a protein, um, a healthy, like whole food carbohydrate and a fat. So it might be like chicken, instant rice, dehydrated veggies, and a packet of olive oil and some spices, mm -hmm. or maybe um, like beans, like refried beans, um, or hummus powder and some coconut oil and some crushed up tortilla chips. Again, super easy um, and really like flexible. Um, I just want to make sure I'm kind of hitting those like nutritional basis with the protein, the carb and the fat. And then, and that's sort of like a template that I think through when I'm creating 
meals at home. Right. And then dinner is always dark chocolate. And that's it. <laughs> we live in a society as hikers where it's all high salt backpackers mm-hmm. pantry mountain house ramen huge a lot of salt a lot of salt a lot of salt um and for those who don't have an eye for creating something as simple as doing a tuna packet with some chips what brands would you recommend in terms of a meal yeah like the like things you can package or, yeah sorry, so you purchase, can add water actually. and it'll just mm-hmm. reconstitute yeah is there a better like mountain house and backpackers pantry are the big is there something a better option but that's still like just pour the water in yes that's a great question and i will say i don't have a ton of like personal experience with this uh i usually just make some simple meals at home but i'll share a couple brands that i have seen that i have heard good things and heard um and like it looks promising to me from like a nutritional perspective um so one is wild zora they have some really good foods, um, or I'm sorry, really good prepackaged meals, like breakfast, dinners. They also have these um, like veggie and meat um, jerky bars. So it's kind of good because you're getting some of those veggies in with like your jerky. Um, and it's all like grass fed, like good stuff. Um, another one I think is called Heather's Choice. I've heard really good things about that. Um, there are, is it good to go? Yeah, I should I should just stop there because I can't I don't know any other specific ones at this okay. point I'm kind of guessing. <laughs> okay. No, that's that's a start. It's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Those are a couple. Okay. And then I had a question on here but you kind of already answered it. It doesn't sound which I like. It doesn't sound like tons of prep time at home goes into these. It doesn't sound really that much more complicated than what I do for my food bag. Yes, not a lot of prep time at home. I mean, more more than if you were if you were on a through hike and you were just like, um, I don't know, going to the gas station, like <laughs> pushing a bunch of like Snickers bars <laughs> into your into your bag. So maybe like a little more prep than that, and a little more thought than that. Oh, but I feel seen. It, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's truly it's it's not too complicated. Like as I mentioned, one of my criteria is simplicity. Um, I personally don't enjoy the process of like making big meals over the winter and then dehydrating them and and doing the whole like dehydrating your backpacking food at home thing, which I know a lot of people love that. That's just not something that I personally enjoy. So my approach to creating my own meals at home is to purchase um, bulk freeze dried or dehydrated ingredients and then to combine them at home. So what my process essentially looks like is if I'm going on a trip, I'm going to decide roughly how many calories I need per day for that particular trip. And then I'm going to brainstorm meals and snacks that I enjoy. And, you know, if you've been backpacking for a while, you like, you have a handful of go-tos that, you know, work for you. Um, And then I will put those into a spreadsheet, make sure that I'm hitting my calorie goal. So I'll say like, for example, okay, I need, I know I need like five of my smoothies and then I need 10 bars so that I can eat two each day. And I need five ounces of almonds or whatever it is. I'll put it in my spreadsheet, do the math easily, make sure I'm hitting my calorie goal for each day or for uh, like a five day section. And then, yeah, if I have meals that I'm going to assemble at home, I just, I will shop um, either online at places like Amazon so that I can shop in bulk or in person at somewhere like um, Costco or Trader Joe's is another one that um, I've stocked up at for through hikes. And then, yeah, I will just take that home. I will, you know, assemble it into the portions that I want it in. And then as far as making my own meals, I sort of just do that assembly line style. So I will like 
set up the bag of beans and put a measuring cup in it, set up the bag of dehydrated veggies, put another measuring cup in that, like set up the bag of um, like taco seasoning, put a little teaspoon thing in that. And I will just like literally walk down the row and dump, you know, measure into each, each little sandwich baggie, Ziploc baggie, and then it's done. So there's my meal. And then when I'm ready to make it on trail, I'm going to have an olive oil packet or two that I'm going to add to it. And yeah, I just assemble all my meals easily. It takes a couple hours. And if you have friends who love you, you know, even shorter, you just buy them a pizza and, you know, put some music on and have them come over and you can just knock it out pretty quickly. So yeah, it's, it's does not need to be complicated at all. You can find olive oil packets. They're small. Yes. Um, the brand is called Marconi and I think the website is minimus.biz and they sell individual, like, I think they're like 0.6 ounce olive oil packets. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Never worry about like having to carry the bulk container or having to spill in the pack or anything like that, which is great. Sweet. Yeah, actually. And there's, um, individual coconut oil packets that they sell at Trader Joe's, which are awesome as well. (laughs) The mind is going now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, can you talk about and tell us about um, Shirka the, and your work and what you do there. Yeah. So, uh, I, a couple of years ago, I started, um, excuse me, a couple of years ago, I started working as a guide for Andrew Skirka and also as an online instructor for his online plan, like a pro course. So and oh, just I'm of- sorry. I didn't, when you said Shirka, I didn't realize it was Andrew Shirk. That's really cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I feel yeah. that that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's good. So for our listeners that don't know, can we rewind and can you talk a little bit about Andrew Shirka, like the briefly? Yeah, yep. So um, Andrew is um, a long distance backpacker and he has been in, kind of in the scene for quite a long time and um, he's well known for like ultralight backpacking and some of these um, really big trips that he's done in the past. Um, like a there's a, a western a Great Western Loop that he did that I think is like 7,400 miles. He did a sea to sea route from coast to coast. He's done a trip in the Arctic um, or the La- in Alaska. I was going to say Alaska. Yeah, a very ambitious trip there as well. Um, he's written a book called The Ultimate Hiker's Gear Guide and. Um, yeah, he has this this blog that is full of really like meticulous, extensive, well-written, well-researched information. And that's where um, he, I think, really gained a lot of popularity because his his blog was such an incredible go-to resource for resource for backpackers. Like all these tutorials on um, how to read weather in the backcountry, how to navigate, and like really well-researched and well-written in-depth tutorials about all of that stuff, gear reviews all the things. So, um, so yeah, he now runs a guiding program and, uh, we run trips, uh, in six different locations. And, um, so we have Utah coming up in a couple of weeks and then we do a trip in Colorado in the sand dunes. There's a trip in the Sierras, uh, a trip in West Virginia, and then we're adding a trip. Oh, and one in Alaska. And then there's a new location in Washington this year. Um, so yeah, he does these guided trips and he has a team of guides now at this point, And I'm one of those guides and then he also congratulations that is fantastic so just for our listeners like you have to send in an application for these like this is yeah Mm -hmm. it it is a process and then you are selected if i'm correct 
That's correct. Yeah, I think we had 650 applications for about 500 spots this year. Yes. Yeah. And I helped with the application review process. And it's like this complex web of like multiple spreadsheets. And like you said, the application process is very in-depth. So yeah. And, and I mean, it's not just like to, for there to be like hoops to jump through. It's because he really wants to make sure that he's placing people on the correct trips and in the right locations and with the groups that they're going to work best with. Um, and that's something his trips are kind of well known for is, is really matching groups up. And that's one of the things we always hear after the, the trips are over is people like, oh my gosh, I made some really amazing friends and we're planning this other trip together. And um, yeah, that's a big part of the experience as well as the people that you get to go out there with. So how did you fall in with him and his company? Yeah. um, So I just happened to see an Instagram post that he put up in December of 2020, which was interesting because I was kind of on an Instagram break at that point. I just happened to open the app and I saw this, um, his post pop up and it was like hiring 2021 guides. And I was like, oh, I've kind of always wanted to be a guide. Um, so I just, uh, wrote a cover letter and put together an application for that and sent it off sort of, um, in an, in a unattached way, because I was like, he probably gets hundreds of applications, (laughs) I'm sure. So who knows if I will ever hear back. I mean, yes, I believe that I like, I have great skill set and I'm qualified and all of that, but I just knew that it was competitive. So I wasn't expecting to hear much. Um, but yeah, I got, got a call back did the interview with he and Joe and then a week later got an email saying they wanted to hire me. So it's super exciting. Yeah. It's been a great program to be part of. And, um, I just loved guiding so much more than I even imagined that I would. It's, it's a really fulfilling experience to, um, support people in having those really expansive outdoor experiences. And like, you know, you guys as backpackers both know just all the, levels of reward that come from being in the outdoors on, you know, just like physically and mentally and spiritually and all of that. And so to get to be part of someone else's experience and helping them go out safely and increase their confidence in the outdoors is, that's truly a a very rewarding experience. And what trips do you guide? Like what's your, because I know each guide is specifically hired for an area of East, either they are familiar with a certain section. I would imagine that you are bringing in nutrition and alternative. So yeah, this is all I want to talk about now. <laughs> so what, yes. yeah, what uh, trips do you run? Yep. Um, so yes, you're correct that he does like to have the guides come on, especially at this point. So I'll say early on, he was looking for, and he started his trips in 2011. So early on, he was looking for people who knew how to backpack in a similar style as he was teaching. So sort of that like light and fast style um, where we're more teaching focused in in terms of like teaching people backpacking skill sets and especially like lightweight backpacking versus courses you might take somewhere else where it's not as teaching focused. It's more like we'll carry a bunch of your stuff and we'll cook your meals for you and we'll set up your tents for you. Like we don't do that. Like we help our clients learn how to do those things. Um, so early on, he was really looking for like people who had just that like long distance hiking, backpacking skill set. And now as the guide team has grown, he's really been focused on um, first, like making, a, having a more diverse group of guides. So including women, um, people of color, people just of like different backgrounds. So that's something he's been focusing on in recent years. And then also, as you mentioned, 
um, bringing on certain skill sets like um, botanists or geologists or people who have like a specific area knowledge. So, um, so I would say like in terms of like why was I hired, um, I would for like um, knowledge of guiding in Colorado, which you know is really it's where I live. So I've done a ton of exploration here. Um, and in the Sierras, I guided last year because it's, it's somewhere where I have quite a bit of experience and yeah, I do like, if there's ever like nutrition or food questions for when clients or students ask, they're like, okay, go ask Katie. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I definitely bring that skill set to the table. Um, yeah. And I'm always expanding like my naturalist skill set in terms of wherever I'm guiding. So this year I'm guiding in West Virginia, Colorado, the Sierras and Utah. So I'm always expanding like my skill set in each of those locations. Where in West Virginia? Um, Dolly Sots. Awesome. And how long is that trip going to be? We do two five-day trips in West Virginia. I think Seneca Rocks and Dolly Sots are those. And those are in October. So it's like nice the time peak of year season when we're there. Yeah. So I was going to ask you awesome. go all year round. It's not year round, but... It, it's close. Okay. <laughs> like, so it's, um, our first trip is starting in late April in Utah. And then our last trip is, I think, ends on October 20th oh, in okay. West Virginia. So, yeah. And then that's obviously going to depend on, you know, the seasons for wherever, whatever region you're going to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of factors, especially with like wildfires in the West at this point, a lot of factors that we're thinking about in terms of like, um, like what's the heaviest bug pressure or like what are the temperatures and the precipitation going to be like and like how likely are we to get smoked out like just then an issue like in if you were going to California in the Sierras in September like that's a great time to be there and historically that's when he's always planned trips there is like late August September except in recent years he's run into issues almost every year with um, dealing with wildfires in the area and nearly having to cancel trips or having to cancel trips. And it's just, it's very stressful. <laughs> like you have all these clients who have made their travel plans and who have paid you. And then, you know, we don't want to put them in and wouldn't put anyone in unsafe conditions. Of course. Yeah. Didn't the park service just say we give up and just close everything out there? Uh, was that last year or the year before? It was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The park service just gave up and said, everything's parks closed, go home. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. So if you're willing, um, we'd love to have you back on to talk about once you go through some of these trips this year, especially the West Virginia one, I would love to have you back on to, to do, you know, an episode on that specifically, but you recently just took a trip to Baja, Mexico. Um, can you give us some highlights and maybe, travel advice for heading to another country because not only not only Um, is katie went to baja but also our bike packer yes was also our second (laughs) oh yes you are calling to you guys oh yeah (laughs) yep you're our second guest you're our second international guest um well i so i would love to say i was doing backpacking there but i was not doing a lot of backpacking there i actually was there working with a client um helping her to do just sort of like a complete health reset. Um, sometimes it's easier to just shift your mindset and your patterns when you're away from home. And it's kind of, you know, a new experience to some, like, to that to some degree when we go out in the back country, like you're just in a new environment and um, you can sort of like look at your own patterns. So 
that's what we were doing with her. We were working on her health habits and helping her set goals for the coming year. She's a backpacker as well. So we were working to get her ready for some of her upcoming trips. Um, so yeah, some of the highlights were um, just being in a different environment and being in the warmth. Um, it was like Colorado was like, I think at, um, where I live, we were having like single digit temperatures while I was in Mexico. So um, I was there enjoying at least weather that was in the 60s oh. and getting some sun. So nice. Um, Got to see uh, some whales birthing calves in a lagoon on the Pacific Ocean, like right there. So we went where we were staying was on the Sea of Cortez side, but we did a trip over to the Pacific Ocean side and got to um, go on this little boat tour where we got to see these whales and their calves, which was pretty neat and to, to learn um, all about them. And then, yeah, just just like being immersed in the culture. And of course, like the food was delicious. So that was a highlight. <laughs> Um, as far as advice, um, hmm, don't drink the water. <laughs> That's <laughs> a tip. Yeah. Um, general travel advice, I think, though, is having a plan, but keeping it loose and flexible. And I think that applies to hiking as well. And that's it's sort of like a mindset that I try to keep in mind. Yeah, and check um, Katie's Instagram for um, the whale pictures. Oh, That's yeah. why I threw that question in. Yes. Um, I have to say, fantastic. Katie, your your Instagram is fantastic. I know she, you said that it's all over the place, but I have to say there's a lot of inspirational stuff on, on, her, on Katie's page, so go check that out. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> And we will end with a trail tale, but before we forget, because I almost forgot with our previous guest, I think, or the guest before, but um, can you do all of your plugs, your website, your social media, all of that good stuff? Oh, sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so katiegerber.com is my website, and that's where you can find my one-to-one health coaching that I offer, um, as well as the online courses that I have, which include like a um, nutrition for backpackers course and a navigation online course. Um, and of course called adventure ready that helps people get their health ready for uh, backpacking season. Um, I also have a free introductory nutrition course for hikers. Um, and then on social, I'm most active on Instagram uh, and it's just at Katie Gerber. Excellent. And then as I mentioned, we, um, always close out the, any interview with having our guests share some sort of trail tale. I'm sure. Um, so one of my favorite trail tales, uh, is from the PCT. So I was, um, I had planned to hike through the Sierra section, which, um, is 20, 200, like 222, 225-ish miles. And I wanted to do, so it's a section through the high Sierra where you go that, that distance without crossing another highway. So if you want to get off into a town, like obviously there are ways that you can get off, um, but you kind of have to do like um, passes off to the side and like drop down into some towns. Um, but I had in my planning phase and having never hiked that far in one stretch without a resupply, thought that it was a great idea to do that. So it was going to be like an 11 to 12 day section without resupplying. And so my pack going into that section was extremely heavy. I think I had, let's see if it was two pounds of food per day. I think I had about 25 pounds of food on top of my base pack weight because wow. it was probably about like two pounds of food per day. So my pack was extremely heavy. 
Um, but I was determined to do this because I thought it was a great idea. And um, I had linked up with a guy and we we're hiking this section together. And he had kind of like hopped on board my idea of like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, even though it was not a great idea at all. But he decided to, to hike this section with me that was going to be like 11 to 12 days without resupply. And we were moving much slower than expected because it's the high Sierra and you're adjusting to the altitude, not to mention our like 40 to 50 pound packs that we were carrying, um, going up and over these passes, multiple passes a day sometimes. And so we're moving slower and eating more than expected. So by the time we were getting kind of towards the end of that section, we were very low on food. And it's when we started, um, we had joined up with the part where it was like, it co-joins with the JMT. Mm-hmm. And so we had started seeing these JMTs, like hikers that had, they were very well stocked with all their food and everything that they needed. And um, we had the fortunate uh, events of one of them that we were just chatting with. Um, he, they had just stayed at Mirror Trail Ranch. It was like uh, two hikers and they were supposed to have a third with them, but the third had gotten sick and had to get off the trail and they had cached food at Mirror Trail Ranch. Like, <laughs> the directions that they gave us were so funny. So basically like they had cash food there, but one of the hikers didn't pick up his cash. And they were like, we're just going to have to go back and pick it up later. It's full of food. And my hiking partner and I at that point were like, star- I mean, not literally starving. <laughs> we were so hungry because we had been, you know, going slow and hiking hard and we were rationing our food. And so when they told us, we were like, oh my gosh, this is like a gift from heaven. And so trail provides, yes, they like drew out a map for us and they're like, (laughs) okay, you're going to come around this bend in the trail at like whatever mile near the river. And then you're going to like look over and you're going to see a group of three trees and under that tree, we've piled some some rock up (laughs) over these buckets. And so (laughs) <laughs> it's ridiculous. So we, we went like chasing after this food, which we had not planned to like go to Mirror Trail Ranch at all. We were going to go all the way through. But when we heard this food was there, we were like, yes, we have to do this. Um, and we searched and searched, couldn't find the bucket. My friend dropped his pack, ran back to the, the hikers who had gone on the other way to get more specific directions of exactly where this food was cached and then ran back to me. And he's like, okay, I've got the exact coordinates now. And so we were able to find this food cache and we just like feasted that night, like on all of the food that like the peanut butter M&Ms and oh, the pretzels so and like all the food. So that was like one of the most magical things that ever happened to me on trail. It was just this gift of like this bucket of food. <laughs> and how many days from when you found the food to when you were finishing the Sierra? It wasn't too much longer. I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was only like another uh, maybe three or four days that we Still, had. Still, it was enough. Like but yeah, it was enough <laughs> that the food was like, it was awesome. Yeah, it made a big difference. Yeah. And we we're just so grateful. And that was one of those moments again where, like you said, like the trail provides and like the universe feels magical and aligned. Well, we're yeah, glad you're here to tell the tale, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> I love moments like that. Um, mm-hmm. where you are in need of food, like you and you you find something, or or we've had moments where shelter didn't work out, but then we found something better, like a cabin. Um, so mm. those are amazing moments. So yes. excellent. Um, I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else, Tumbles? I I think we we've covered so much in the past hour, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us once again. This you were a plethora of information. 
Uh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for asking me to be on. It was a lot of fun talking with you. Great. Yeah, that flew by. This was absolutely fantastic. And we will definitely have to have you back on. Sounds great. All righty, y'all. You know where to find us. It was announced in the beginning. Last but not least, ciao.